You're listening to Below the Radar, a knowledge mobilization project recorded out of 312 Maine. This podcast is produced by SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement. Below the Radar brings forward ideas to encourage meaningful exchanges across communities. Each episode, we interview guests on topics ranging from environmental and social justice, arts, culture, community building, and urban issues. This podcast is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. I'm Melissa Roach from SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement. Sorry if you missed us last week. We're now moving to a bi-weekly schedule with a short holiday break coming up. Make sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash below the radar pod and follow us on Twitter at BTR underscore pod for episode updates and more. You can also subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice to make sure you never miss out. For our last episode of 2018, our director, Am Johal, interviews Davin and Anna from the Binners Project. We learn about the beginnings of the project and how it's developed over the years, including some background on the coffee cup revolution and the Universal Carts Initiative. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you very much for joining us this week uh, on our podcast. I'm very um, excited to uh, welcome Davin and Anna from the Binners Project. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Hi. You're, you're neighbors of mine here at 312 uh, Main Street. And I'm wondering if you can just sort of start uh, by talking about the kind of work you do for the listeners who might not be aware of the, the Binners Project. Uh, you could go first, everyone. Yeah, so my name is Anna. I'm a co-founder and um, director of the Binners Project. We are a grassroots initiative uh, we're based in the downtown east side, Vancouver, and we help uh, recyclers, like urban recyclers, or some people call them um, waste pickers. So uh, people surviving um, and going through the trash um, for like material, anything that has value. So the Binners Project came uh, around like four years ago, almost five, and uh, we're here to support them, decrease the stigma around the work they do, highlight their uh, green contribution to uh, urban landscapes and also um, increase their, their income opportunities, helping them making more money uh, while spinning. Um, yeah, or another thing we do too is like I joined the business project about four years ago and now I'm like the operations manager. And one thing I love about this organization is two things, actually. It's how grassroots it is. So we listen to all the binners, and all, most of our programs and initiatives are based around their ideals. And second is how we build their capacity up, like what happened to me. And I had built my capacity up, and I wasn't even realizing it. And now here I am today. So now we have like about like nine other binners or staff. I have two coordinators underneath me, two, uh, underneath me too. So we're building up their capacity and making them leaderships in the binner community. Um, way back in the day, this would have been around 1997 or, or 98, um, I was working on a project uh, through UBC, and I met uh, Jim Green, and I worked for him uh, a little bit after that. But he put me in touch um, with uh, Ken Liotier uh, at that time when United We Can uh, was working. And he did something, I guess, similar to Binner's Dinners and things around uh, organizing uh, with Binner's and... Um, uh, it was a remarkable, really interesting project in the way that it was funded and, and starting out. 
And I'm wondering how uh, binning has evolved uh, over time. I'm sure you you both know Ken very well, or or you know was involved or around the project when you were starting out. But um, it's been you know many many decades since people have been binning, and I'm just wondering sort of uh, how things have evolved and changed over time. Um, yeah, well, Ken is probably what how we we say spearheaded this organization or something like that. Uh, so I myself don't Ken. I worked at United Ken. So it's funny, there's two things. They can start it off in Victoria Square Park with the uh, deposit depot for the bottles. And we have our coffee cup revolution now at the same spot. We're trying to make a refund on that. We had ours last week, so we got like 87,000 cups in three hours. But what's changed in bidding is uh, like what our organization does is with Ken, he had uh, United We Can, and uh, I guess through funding and whatnot, out there <clears throat> more of a bottle depot, which is still good, a, re- a full refund bottle depot for all the bidders. But the bidders project, what we do is we try to change uh, policy and and build uh, more like leadership and community within within the bidders. Uh, so yeah, and, and all the issues too. So stuff like uh, the the one they were working on is the universal cart system, uh, cart that we're working on right now. So it's it's more that we're working on issues, I guess. And bidding is actually becoming more of a what do you call it, an actual legit. Mm-hmm. And it seems mind. also like you're working around stigmatization that uh, towards binners as well. Oh, for like. sure. And I think, um, I mean, I'm I'm not from Canada originally, so I wasn't here ten years ago. But so I can't tell you how it evolved here in Vancouver. But um, I think it's just rethinking waste and seeing it as a resource instead of just waste. Um, and I I don't think there's anything new to that. Like. Since I think the history of time, people reuse things. Uh, we just we're just in a like we're just at a time in this century is all about consuming and plastic and so it's just trying to like challenge people in rethink that way and think like material and waste could actually be valuable for someone else. Yeah. Uh, so it's a it's a way to include people economically and socially. Yeah, because all our bidders, we usually always just live, we make our income off waste, and most of us, all our stuff that we own is we just reuse everything that we find. So it's spreading out that kind of thing, the reuse, recycle economy. Yeah. I'm I'm always interested in how people start off uh, social change uh, uh, projects. So I was wondering if you could ask you both sort of uh, share a little bit about yourself. You you come from France. Now you're living in Vancouver, working on this project. That's super interesting. Mm-hmm. When you can share a little bit how you got involved in the in the Binners project. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's kind of. Um, I think those things. I mean, my experience of those things are always a bit. It's always a bit random. Like you were just there at the right time. You met the right people. So uh, I uh, I studied law in France, uh, like uh, human rights. I was really into social justice. Um, I mean, in theory, I wasn't really doing anything about it. I was just studying it. Um, And then I became a teacher. So so I was just very curious in kind of, or not curious, but interested in putting these two things together, education and social justice and... Um, and so when I came here from France, I mean, I came from the UK, I, w- I was there before, and then I moved in Vancouver. I was just really surprised by just seeing people pushing carts, shopping carts. Uh, there is poverty in Europe, a lot, um, a lot of exclusion, but um, it just has a different face. Like, people don't really carry around shopping carts. It's very much something you see in American movies, like the homeless guy push- mm-hmm. pushing his cart. 
So I was just really curious about that. And uh, I, I lived in this neighborhood in Chinatown, so I saw a lot of people doing that. And, and then I realized they were actually collecting waste or reusing stuff and either going to the depot and making cash from aluminum and glass and plastic or they were just selling whatever they found on the street or reusing it for themselves. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And and I, I really, yeah, I just saw value in that. I, th I think it's, you know, people have barriers and they can't really take a full-time job. They So they do that. They do that on their own time. And so I was really interested in that. And so I met with Ken Lutier. I contacted him. I was writing um, articles for a local newspaper called The Source. Uh, and so in this context, I met with Ken Lutier for coffee. And then we just met and met again and talked and talked. And and then we, uh, he told me, yeah, uh, he, he told me he wanted to get a group of binners together. And so I was I was like, yeah, let's do that. So, so we did that together. And then now we're five years later and we're starting to become a, a bigger movement. Yeah. How did you get started? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I've always been about social change. I love, right? So uh, before I was more in the outside and more confrontational. And of course, that got me nowhere. So uh, <laughs> what happened was uh, when I first went to the first Binners meeting and then hearing uh, Anna and Gabby talking and, and seeing how they were listening and with their and what they wanted to do. It fit in perfectly with, with not only with my lifestyle, but with my actual personal beliefs. And now it's great because now working in the inside, you're making a difference. And instead of being so confrontational, I find out that actually working with people and making small little changes is how you make change. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I've seen that you guys uh, organize binners dinners and are uh, organizing with um, uh, people who are, are working in this area, uh, listening to concerns and issues that are coming up and trying to act and advocate on their behalf. I know you've organized discussions and, and those types of things. wondering if you can let our um, listeners know a little bit about uh, Coffee Cup uh, Revolution because it's such a unique uh, project and, and what it is that you're trying to do in terms of policy change and things like that. Yeah, so um, when we started, um, so Gabby Korsheva and I, we consulted with Binners for a long time, for like a year maybe. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of meetings. And one thing that came up was um, they really, like the Binners, um, wanted to recycle more. And so they said the coffee cups are like the biggest way, like the, the material we see the most in the bin and it has no value. At the time, it wasn't even recyclable. So it was, everything was just going to landfill. Since then... If, depending on where you throw away your cup, it can be recycled. Um, but so they, they asked for us to push, they asked for the Binance Project to push for uh, at least like raise awareness around the waste and uh, around cups and then uh, see whether they were like, why, why there is no refund on that? That's something that if refunded could be recycled. Uh, so, so yeah, so Coffee Cup Revolution is one day Every year, we've been doing it for five years, and we offer five cents uh, for each used coffee cup. So uh, the beginners know that, and the, the world goes around the neighborhood, and people collect cups and get five cents. Uh, and so the idea is to demonstrate the importance of the refund system or similar systems. Like, we're not pushing just or only for a refund system. It's more like, like there is waste, and there are people that can that can help us reduce the waste or at least um, landfill waste. And, uh, how many so cups did you collect again in one day here? So how much was in it? In three then? hours. 
So it was three hours. It was, uh, I forgot the exact number, but 80, just over 87,000. Yeah. It was 86, six, yeah. 86,000. Wow. Yeah. It was our highest number. Usually we're, every year we've been more around 50, 50,000 cups, mm -hmm. which yeah. is crazy. This year it's 86. It's crazy. It's, mm -hmm. it's just showing you that people are just, like, I don't know, like people in Vancouver are, or in BC claim they're very green. But when you see that, you're like, okay, you're very green, you, you know, but... Yeah, it's interesting seeing uh, one of the years, this is probably about two or three years ago, there was a researcher from UBC in the discussion portion of the Coffee Cup Revolution, and he was talking about where in the world um, coffee cups are um, found in the, in the dumpsters. And what he said was that it was in the U.S., Canada, Australia... New Zealand and the UK, oh. <laughs> mostly like English speaking English, yeah. kind of Western countries. <laughs> yeah. And that in continental Europe, um, it wasn't really that much of an issue because when people have a coffee, they just sit down and have a coffee. They don't take it to go. So there's interesting kind of cultural aspects to uh, what you've discovered as well. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, in like France, you wouldn't be <laughs> taking a to-go cup. You sit and have a coffee, right? In France, they don't even ask you. There is no option of <laughs> taking it to-go. Uh, I mean, sadly, sadly, uh, big coffee chains are starting to pop up in France, too. So mm -hmm. I think it's starting to change <coughs> in, the, in the bad way. <laughs> People are starting to take away uh, their cups, but... Um, um, in your um, research, if, if something if something like this were to happen, where there would be um, a deposit on um, coffee cups, um, has there been um, some ideas about what that material could be used for? I, I know that's been one of the issues, but um, uh, in terms of uh, discussions with policymakers, uh, how has that gone? So the um, recycling coffee cups is more complex than we think, and it's a technology that that is changing really fast. So what I'm saying now might be different in six months. And um, and so from my limited understanding of uh, recycling waste, uh, coffee cups are just a low quality paper. So it can be recycled with paper. Uh, but because because the technology is not that great yet, it in the past it couldn't be that much of it. So you had to kind of mix it with other higher quality paper. So that's why a lot of cups wasn't the best because it would just decrease the overall recycling uh, quality. Uh, but um, yeah, and then there's ink. Actually, the ink on the cup is the most difficult thing to take apart, I think, to break down. And the plastic lining inside it too. Exactly, <laughs> and the plastic lining. And so so it just makes the recycling of cup very difficult. But that's also why we're pushing for a refund because if there's a refund system, then there's much more money going toward the industry of recycling. So that could potentially mean that we invest into a better uh, system to recycle mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Now, I know um, with the, the Binners Project, you're uh, working with a lot of people who are working um, individually, you know, when uh, people put out their garbage, um, have their bottles out, and pe people, you know, there's many, many neighborhoods where people really uh, want their stuff taken. They're very positive. I know you've developed some hooks that people can uh, put up just to make it a, a friendlier atmosphere for people who are binning, knowing that the, the places are uh, welcoming people. And I know also that you've been uh, working on trying to get sorting contracts and things like that with like hotels and other places. I know you're doing some sorting here at 312, but I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how that's been going and some of the barriers in terms of working with uh, bigger um, institutions. 
Yeah, actually, I was just talking about that before that. Today, we, we were just noticing, because I said, we just started about three, four years ago, and our sort of initiative is that we were newer programs. Uh, main reason is, too, because we were doing, like, pickups first, but that wasn't really uh, bringing that much money into the Binner's project uh, or the Binner's pockets. And then we have our events, which is great, but that's only during the summer. So, again, Binner's will make money during the summer and in the winter. So our sorting contract goes all year round. And today we have, uh, this is just Monday morning, right? We have seven sites that we're at with like 15 vendors making money. So it's great. And one thing I love about the sorting, it's funny, actually, when uh, when we, they first started talking about it, I was like, oh, it's going to be kind of hard. Like, I don't fully understand how we will be able to fit in. But now it's, it just makes total sense. Because most of uh, the people that we do the sorting with, we provide another filter, increase their diversion rates. And most of the people that we're, we work with, they just love, love working with the vendors too. They just want support us and build our, our capacity as an organization. So, yeah, so what, what the binners do, so we get a contract, let's say, with SFU, because <laughs> <laughs> we have a contract with SFU, and uh, so we'll send a binner or two binners, or depending on the site, the size of the site, we'll send a bunch of, bin, like a few people, and they go, and they, they go through each waste, each bins, um, and make sure everything is properly sorted. So plastic goes with plastic, cardboard goes with pl cardboard, Uh, so it's it's a very big, like it seems like it's a simple task, but it's not. So it's really building on the expertise that binners have. Uh, they used to go through the trash, they know how to sort. And again, the industry around recycling changes very fast and it changes based on where you are or who's, which company is hauling your waste. Like it's actually very complex. And so we see value in having an extra layer. And so now the binners are able to do that. And And of course, they they're being paid for their for their work or their contribution. Yeah, and, and each site is quite different. Like each, it's all totally different. So like we'll, we'll be at let's say this location, 312 uh, Main, and we'll have a binner come here. And what they're doing is they're more like doing the uh, actual f full full building recycling. So they go to each bin and each floor, bring it down, sort it. Then we have other sites where they just go into the recycling room, sort it. But also what they'll do is they'll take all the cardboard, break it down, take the milk cartons, crush it, and make the room and clean the recycling rooms up and make it tidy so it's not eyesore. Or we have other contracts where we call it backup house, where uh, we have larger organizations where they just bring their garbage or their even recycled streams to the back and binners will go through it again and make sure that it's properly sorted and recycled properly so that their, their diversion rates are increased. Yeah, and to, to come back to your question, I'm um, about um, getting contract and like with bigger uh, institutions. We surprisingly, um, it seems like bigger institutions or organizations or companies are actually more keen and able to, to integrate sorting into their site because they produce so much waste that I think the, the impact that uh, even two people sorting even two hours a day have on their on the amount of waste is incredible we have sites where they would send everything to landfill before and they hire two binners a day for a few hours like three hours and now the i think the rate can like it's, it's like 95 waste diversion it's incredible so they really see value in that and and so we're we're, we're happily surprised or i don't know how you say that but it's it's pretty good to see that um big organizations are, are keen to get us uh, started. And we, we're very busy. We're only four, four full-time staff, and we don't actually even like go and prospect, and we don't even have time to seek for new clients. And so far, we've been pretty lucky. It's been expanding fast, but of course, we, we like recommendations. And 
Yeah, and I like it too because we're actually uh, uh, all the binders are also learning how to proper recycle to recycle properly too. Because before they were just out bidding for bottles or whatnot, but now every binder in our organization, when they hit something, they all know the four streams. They just know it's like compost, mixed containers, paper, and landfill, and it's just a lot. They just automatically sort it like that. Um, if uh, some of our listeners wanted to get more information about the Binners Project, how can they find out uh, about you? If you could share your website address in other ways. Yeah, our website is binnersproject.org. And uh, we're on Facebook, we're on, every, we're on Instagram, and we're on um, Twitter. Uh, so, yeah, just Google Binners Project, and that's pretty easy to find us. And we, we have a contact form. And so, yeah, if people have ideas or... Uh, connection, like you know, maybe they they can introduce us to someone, or like we a lot, like most of the contracts we get are just word of mouth or somebody mentioning us to someone else, and so it's pretty uh, casual. But we like it. We're we're very uh, we like to work flexible. Like we're flexible, so we like that. I'm wondering uh, what are you guys excited about over the next two or three years in terms of what you have uh, planned uh, with uh, Binner's project. Well, I'm excited about our, our cart sharing program. So it's, our, it's one of our newer initiatives. So it's a universal cart sharing program. So what we have is we have our, our prototype cart that we have in this building that we've been testing. And we want to make it into, uh, like, you know, the bike sharing you have in Vancouver. But same thing with carts. It'll be like the first recycling cart sharing system in North America. So all the binners are, of course, super excited about it. But I, I myself, am particularly excited about this because I think it's, like, I'm very sur- surprised how much support we're getting for it. And this ideal is just amazing. Yeah, and uh, so we're, dis- we're in discussion with the city of Vancouver. Uh, they're very supportive in seeing that uh, happening. And so we're going to have two stations, one uh, probably outside of uh, the Bottle Depot on Industrial Avenue in Vancouver and the other somewhere in the downtown east side on public space, like outside, and it will be available 24-7. Uh, so any binners that any binner that is a member of the project will be able to borrow the cart for free, uh, use it for 10, 12 hours, day or night, and bring it back at the end of, of their uh, binning day. So that that should make a, hopefully, I, I think it will make a big difference for, for people. Well, I'm quite surprised because first of all, like just getting access to our cars and destigmatizing is will be a big difference. But so far, we I have six members that's already using our prototype and all of them come back with a big smile on their face because they say they can't believe the, the reactions they get from the public. Everybody's like, wow, they're so interested in it. And, and they just treat them totally different than when they're just shopping, pushing a shopping cart. So mm-hmm. I know for a fact that it will make a difference. Mm. And this cart is painted green, so you you can see it. <laughs> it's very bright. Just and like the shirts. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. So it's like a giant green uh, person walking around. <laughs> uh, Davin and I just wanted to say thank you so much for uh, joining us. Yeah, thank yeah. you very no, much thank you. Thanks, for sir. having us. Yeah, take care. A huge thank you to Davin and Anna for talking to us and sharing what's new and exciting for the Binners Project. To learn even more about them, you can find a link to their website in the episode description. Thanks, as always, to our other producers, Jamie Lee Gonzalez and Maria Cecilia Saba. And thanks to Davis Steele for providing us with our theme music. This is us signing off for the year, but we'll be back in January with a new episode featuring our community partner, Hives for Humanity. Cheers, and we'll catch you next year.